Welcome to Expansion Cast. I'm your host, Roger Metz. Expansion Cast is a magical podcast I created so people could find simple or unconventional solutions to expand their personal awareness and experience. It is dedicated towards revealing people's divine truth and how that divine truth works its way out into the world one by one, helping liberate each of us on our path to personal freedom. Welcome everyone. Today in the studio I have friend Mike Lee. We used to work together at a uh, at a truck shop and uh, Mike has in my view gone through a lot of self journey, a lot of work to move into the space he's in today. Uh, lots of struggle and um, behind that struggle I feel was a really um, powerful need to tie in or tap into his divine truth. And um, I experienced moments where Mike has, you know, taken the dive and really just been in a space of experiencing his his authentic beingness as much as uh, possible, even if that authentic beingness was sometimes not something he was proud of. So, welcome, Mike Lee. <laughs> Thank you. What are you calling yourself these days, an entrepreneur? I suppose that would be the term for it, yeah. I've always seeked out working on my own, doing my own thing, following my rules. And uh, with proper guidance, that makes good entrepreneurship, yes. So, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, how... How recovery came about to you? Like, what what was the, the crack? Uh, I would see it as a series of small cracks rather than one great big one. Mm-hmm. It probably started, you know, it started when I was about 38, 39, approaching 40, and just had a, an urge to change myself physically. So I had always, always run equipment of one kind or another, drive truck, run equipment, or when you knew me, sitting in the office. And felt as 40s coming, maybe I should get in shape. So I started exercising, running, doing some marathons. And uh, it felt really good to, to change, do something that I didn't think I could do. And uh, <clears throat> along with that, I, as, as people that exercise do, they find a, a calmness and a peace afterwards, the, the runner's high. And that's then sparked a bit of, uh, let's try and do some self-improvement on my spiritual side. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in church. That's that's my beliefs, but I did find the religion part very stifling. There's a big difference between spirituality and and religion. Mm-hmm. So I still believe in the same God, but I have a total different approach to it. Um, so then I I just dabble in it a little bit here and there, try a bit of bit of yoga, a bit of meditation, and didn't really have any direction to it. Um. And through all that, I've I've been a very driven person. I have a a huge drive in me not to settle for the status quo. Nothing's ever good enough. I've got to get better. Uh, A lot of that drive then drove me into alcoholism as well, which I battled with my whole life since I was 15. So do you know what the source of the drive was? 
No, I'm finding that as I go. That's part of my journey is is digging deep in. Go, let's go deeper, deeper and deeper and find out what this is. I've had glimpses of issues that normal people would deal with. And for whatever reason, maybe it took a wrong turn inside me and would uh, create a drive instead of dealing with it. Buried emotions, I suppose you'd call it. Mm-hmm. And so then when I, uh, two and a half, close to three years ago now, my drinking got really heavy. It's uh, it's pretty easy to turn to that to quiet down the the nagging voices that never go away. Um, so as I started recovery into my alcoholism, I had found, and I, it surprised me very much, that the the not drinking, the dealing with the alcoholism, was only five percent. The other ninety five percent was spirituality, digging in, finding out what's wrong, and. Um, it comes down to a selfishness. A lot of alcoholics, it's a selfish motivation that, that drives us. So I, I kind of clung on to that, held on as tight as I could to um, try and be selfless. And in the last year or so of, of that journey, I'm finding that ego drives selfishness. Really big for me anyways. I've always had a very large ego. It's I've been very successful at what I do. Not great wealth success, but I, I always achieve for what I what I set out. So um, So do you think that ego that ego is pulling you from your your truth? Was creating an avoidance? Yes, yeah, a big avoidance. You know, a man can spend a lot of his life or, or a woman, but um, you spend a lot of your life covering up uh, your true drive, what it's for. I um you know, for myself, that's that's what I'm finding is is my where I take my energies and put them into work and at one point into drinking. That uh, it's avoiding what I'm actually here for. And as I get more and more selfless, I can see that uh, yes, I can still drive for business. I can do that, but let's remember people that need help. Let's let's try and pay it forward, so to speak. That, yeah, okay, I can still drive for business, but let's make it selfless. Let's let's try and help people out as I'm doing it. So I guess where I'd like to go from here is, you know, what is recovery to you? Like, what is that? Um, recovery for me is, uh, like I was explaining earlier, the 95% soul searching. You know, to use a blue-collar word, that's what... What I find myself doing is, is soul searching. Let's let's dig into this. I'm very curious, very interested. I've seen results of uh, of taking time to relax and look inside, and uh, even in specific situations, if I'm aware enough and present enough, I can stop. I can hold my reaction. It doesn't need to be reacted to right away. I can wait. And I have found tremendous, tremendous benefits out of that by um, making a more conscious decision rather than a reactive decision. Mm-hmm. And that helps me out tremendously in my personal life. I've always been good at that in business, but not, not personal. Emotions get in the way and, and they, they flood out and you, you say things you end up regretting. So would you say you're an emotional person, like, a, like sensitive? Yes. As much as I hate to admit that, yes, <laughs> yeah. very much so. 
Yeah. So what do you do with those emotions? Do you just pack them down or do you just let them flow or what's the, you acknowledge them? I don't know. Well, my, my go-to is to pack them down. Mm-hmm. That's a lot easier. Let's not deal with this. Let's just stick logical. But when I'm present and I'm, I'm following my, my program, I call it, it's my race to run and I run, run it how I choose to. So it's mine. It's my own. I own it. And, um, so if I just, I just follow my program, then, then I'm conscious and, and aware in that moment. And then I can react without emotion. I can feel them. Mm-hmm. I can let it happen. Somebody says something that upsets me. I can be upset. Mm-hmm. It's okay. But feel it. Let it flow. Let it do its thing without an external reaction towards that person. Mm-hmm. And chances are it all goes away and it's good. And then you can react accordingly. So there's no no blame, no no putting fingers out and saying this other person outside of myself is causing this uncomfort. Yeah, yeah, you strike a very good point there because that is my go-to. The other person, if they would just do what I said, or if they would just, well, instead of they, I start taking a look at my side. Mm-hmm. What have what have I done to cause it? What is my part in this? Mm-hmm. And there's a million situations that say somebody cuts you off in traffic. The instant go-to is an emotion on that one. That's why they put a term to it, road rage. Mm-hmm. But if a person is present in that moment, you can stop. Well, what was my part in that? Well, my part is I was in his way. That's why he cut me off. So I was doing everything I should have been, but I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe he's rushing to the hospital. Maybe he's late for a meeting. Do you feel that in your searching that the universe somehow orchestrates all this stuff to, to bring these events in so that you can become aware of limitations? Yes, I agree with your statement. Uh, I believe I've always called it the, a lesson to be learned. Yeah. For whatever reason, we need to feel that, okay, let's let's play with this emotion here and, and see how it's handled. Yeah. So an event will happen to cause an emotion that, hey, look at that. I need more work on this one, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, and when you finally work through that emotion or through that limitation, uh, you find that those events don't show up anymore. Well, they'll still show up. Yeah. Definitely a lot easier to be handled and possibly not as often. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe they just show up as they're needed. Right, exactly. A, l- a little reminder. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, from my point of view, is like I see that, uh, like the road rage thing, when I had it, when I finally dealt with the emotion that was inside me, um, and I started breathing through, and, you know, it would come up a few times here and there. And as soon as I uh, just got rid of that belief system, whatever it was, and I, at this moment, I don't remember exactly what was going on, um, it never happens anymore. Like I never get into a position where somebody's yelling at me. Yeah. And then if I do, if on rare occasion something happens, I am not anywhere near where I was before. Mm-hmm. It's like I just smile and and acknowledge that person for you know struggling where they are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That um, as I re- <clears throat> excuse me as I refer to it, uh, running the race. This reminds me of sitting with, with somebody, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to be with some very older men, pushing seven years old that have run my feet right off and, and to sit and talk with them and they say, well, yeah, it's training. You're, you are training, you're on the right route, but you haven't been running for 30 years like I have. So possibly that's what we're looking at here is where you're just that much further in, in training, 
right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, training. Yeah. And Where, and and I see it as that as my spiritual improvement and journey. It's it's training. It's a race. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you fall down. Just get back up and keep running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Acknowledge the wounds, feel the wounds, and keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't do you any good to sit and cry about them for an hour and a half. No. Are you sure? <laughs> Depends on the wound. <laughs> yeah. So in recovery and addiction, um, from my point of view, um, there seems to be some sort of narcissism that's tied with um, this escapism. Can you speak to that? or I'm not happy you brought that up. And yes, I can speak to it because I have personal experience with it. Mm-hmm. That word narcissism has always scared me. Always. Because mm-hmm. I have a large fear of being a narcissist. And uh, is narcissist just another name for uh, an extreme selfish person? Extreme selfishness to the point where it doesn't matter what you do to other people around you as long as you're getting what you want. And that is me, mm-hmm. right? I, I had a lot of pride in being a very uh, kind and helpful person. But when I truly looked at it over the years, I was only kind and helpful if I was happy and getting what I wanted. If you're receiving something, a benefit from it. Well, not always just a benefit from it. But if, say, I was receiving what I needed from somewhere else in my life at that moment, mm-hmm. I was getting everything that I desired, well, sure, I'd help out. Oh. I'm in a good mood. I'll be helpful. Mm. But boy, it didn't take much to set me off and I wasn't helping anybody. Mm. You know, and that I think is a, a, there's narcissism wrapped up in that selfishness. It's a, it's a big ugly ball that I'm sure if you could pull all the strings out of it, you'd find a piece of everything in there. Mm-hmm. So, so you were in a space, when you were in a space of fullness, like feeling loved and, and saturated from all your expectations and all your needs. Mm-hmm. So all your needs are full. Um, then you can go outside and help others. Correct, yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Because for me, helping others, it's usually, like, for instance, for I, I, was, um, I was volunteering at Arches, and I was a bit nervous about starting volunteering there because I was going to be walking around downtown with, you know, what people termed as dangerous people. Oh, yeah. You know, society deems these people as dangerous people, and you got to be really careful. Mm-hmm. So I was nervous, and I was, you know, I had fear going in, in me before I volunteered. Uh, but once I got down in, into the, the real, the rawness of the homeless people and the addictions, um, I just tuned into spaces that, uh, reflective spaces. I could see myself in these people. Mm. You know, I could see aspects of me in these people. And that did something for me that I hadn't realized was going to happen. Is I had a fear of failure. And moving into volunteering around these people that were experiencing what I thought was extreme failure. Mm-hmm. I found people that were actually kind and caring and loving. Mm-hmm. And I found people that were really fucking struggling hard just to just to survive. Mm-hmm. Like just to be in their wits 
because of so much, you know, torment that's happened in their life. And it, it healed me. It healed me from my fear of failure. Mm. And, you know, I, I talked in a, a podcast the other day about me being in a park and putting on an event. And, you know, for the first 15 minutes I was there, there was no, nobody was showing up. And the old me would have been like, agitated would have been nervous would have been feeling like a failure right mm -hmm. and this this new me sat there in my wholeness and actually was i was quite happy being alone you were okay with whatever happened 100 percent okay with whatever happened yes and i was happy to be with me myself yeah and i was actually i was loving it and then when one person came along and joined me i was loving that too so now there was no change there was no separation between nothing and something it was all the same flow mm. it was beautiful yes uh in recovery is, is you know a group of people that i've surrounded myself with there's lots of little sayings and quotes and whatnot and, and the one that covers that is uh taking life on life's terms and that is is another one that i carry very close to me because in that moment when something is happening to you that you don't have control over, that's very upsetting to a lot of people, mm -hmm. losing control. But if you can remind yourself that we're supposed to take life on life's terms, then in that situation, I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. This is what life is offering at this moment. And um, as, as you say, mm -hmm. the next step to that would be well, nothing or something. There's no difference. It's still just the flow, the... Just what it what is going to be that day? That's what it is. It's blissful existence. It's radiance. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. It and it, it may not make it easier to get through that situation. Is you still have to deal with what's going on in that moment, but your reactions, your emotions, everything else comes under control, and you're thinking selflessly. Then, yeah, the point where I'm at, there's no dealing anymore. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's nothing. At, there's just being. There's no dealing, there's no nothing going on. There's just me experiencing. Much like a leaf falling in a river just experiences the ebb and mm. flow of the waves. Yeah. It's kind of um I don't I don't even know what to say, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Where there is no struggle. You know, because as soon as as soon as I move into a place where there's struggle, then the mind starts in and the mind starts requesting or, you know, my ego is there or my survival instinct is there. But, and those are, those are all pulling in struggle of some form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I'm completely without struggle, this mind is like quiet. Yeah. And I'm just moving and experiencing. Yeah. And I, I do look forward to that one day. That's, um, People will say an alcoholic, well, they, they got issues or demons are fighting and they, uh, they drink to, to get drunk and go to sleep. And I used to laugh and say, no, I drink so that my voices get drunk and go to sleep. <laughs> and I have some peace and quiet for brief moments before I quickly get sleep <laughs> after that. But You know, from my experience, alcoholics are usually the kindest people out there until, until the, they, there's, there's like this void or something during drinking that happens that their their anger comes out or whatever it is their mm. their narcissism pops mm -hmm. out for a bit and then it drops off it's like this this like huge climb up this this ladder 
and then they can scream and drop back down again. Mm. But but for from my from my perspective, most alcoholics I've ever met are have huge hearts, and they're drinking because they're so fucking emotional. They're trying to bury the emotions because they don't know how to deal with them. Yes. Yeah. They don't know how to be. Um, they don't know how to deal with their feminine side. Mm. You know, for the ma- for the male anyway. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, yeah. I, honestly, most alcoholics I meet are male. Yeah. There, there's a handful of females, definitely. I mean, we can't mm-hmm. just say it's males, but you're no. you're correct. The large majority, if you're able to put them all in one room and look, yes, the majority would be male. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe it's from <clears throat> feeling stuff that we're not supposed to feel, yeah. as far as we understand. Yeah, because right? the belief systems that you've been taught have said you can't feel. Mm-hmm. You're a man. You're supposed to be stuck. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to stand still. And yeah. and you can have that stillness in your stance, but ignoring your feelings is not the journey to this space. Correct. To this, to this um, it's a divine masculine. Mm. So, yeah. So when we move through all this struggle and we leave all this struggle behind and the divine masculine can stand still, and all this, you know, all this stuff can blow around. All this, all these terrible events can, can you know, can hit you, and mm-hmm. things can pound on you, and all this struggle, this stuff that's trying to make you struggle, mm-hmm. you know, will torment, try and torment you, but you just stand there, weathering the storm type of yeah. thing. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Before I decided to get sober, dig into it. Um, which I'd like to mention again, the sobriety is only 5% of my journey. Mm-hmm. I have found through that that 95% is the spiritual end. Mm-hmm. But so to back it up a couple of years before I, I figured out sobriety, I was going to a counselor to deal with, you know, why do I, I it's almost like I had triggers. Something would happen and I would just go into a rage about it, just furious. And and the sad part is, is my family was usually the one to, to feel that because in public, I had an image to keep up mm-hmm. at home. You can let your image down and find out you're really the, the a-hole that, that people see you as. Mm-hmm. So this counselor, I, he's, he was very good. He, the first session, he said, so what, what do you want? I said, well, I want to not be angry. <laughs> I didn't understand what I wanted. And uh, he says, no, seriously, if you're able to back way up to, say, the moon and be able to look at you, what do you want to present as? And I said, honestly, I want to be the, the, the anchor for my family, the one solid that everybody can count on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, now it's not. All they can count on is maybe he's in a good mood, maybe he's in a bad mood. And uh, he said, so you want to be a matador? And I like, really, I'm paying this guy for this kind of information. What do you mean? I want to be a, you know, a bullfighter. Mm-hmm. He said, well, if you were ever to watch a bullfighter, they're standing in a ring with 2,500 pounds of hair and horns wanting to kill them. And uh, he said, they just stand there. They stand still. It's coming at them like a freight train. And at the last second, they just step to the side and off it goes. Mm-hmm. He didn't move. His feet probably didn't even move. Maybe he had to shuffle, but he just stood there in the midst of everything going on. And the counselor pointed his finger at me and he says, I can guarantee you that if we were to take your life into that same scenario, you would jump on the back of that bull, grab him by the ear and just scream in that ear, just scream in it. Either that or you would say enough of this bullshit, I'm out. 
and you'd go sit in the stands with your arms crossed. He said, you either jump on it in a rage or you back right off. Mm-hmm. He says, you want to be the guy that stands there and doesn't let that stuff affect you. And it was great advice at the time. It helped me a lot to try and stay situational in this situation. Let's try and react like a bullfighter. But I still struggled immensely until I realized that's all connected to your spirituality and your ego and everything else. Mm-hmm. So then through sobriety, I found the other piece of that puzzle. And that's what's exciting about this journey is the pieces mm-hmm. here and there. And you never know where you're going to pick them up. Mm-hmm. And you might pick one up two years before it fits into the actual puzzle, but it's picked up, it's in your pocket, it's there. That's the cool thing about awareness. Mm. The more we're aware, the more we can you find working. those little things. Yeah, Yeah, it's almost like the more you find, the easier they get to find. Mm-hmm. Like you say, the awareness. You become aware and you're watching and you're seeing. that. Mm-hmm. That's not coincidence. Mm. No. Coincidence isn't real. They call it synchronicity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can just surrender. Yeah, try so fucking hard. (laughs) And the the same thing will happen. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough though. Like the, I would love to be independently wealthy so I could just focus on this stuff and not have to focus on the world. Because money is a necessary evil. We all need a little bit of it to put a roof over our head and food in our bellies, but to, to limit that and and let it flow is it's going to be what it is. So you'd like out of the matrix. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get out of there right now. Um, well, I think I'm out. I'm just trying to survive outside of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm outside of the matrix. Just trying to trying to survive without jumping into survival mode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find that in seeking, so when we talk about recovery and seeking, I also find in the seeking there's avoidance. And I say that because I think our everything we need is within us. We are our wholeness is always there. Um, so when we get lost in these stories and these things that pull us outside of ourselves, like you know, even the stuff that says you're not allowed to feel emotional, mm-hmm. that pulls us outside of our wholeness mm-hmm. because we are emotional beings. So when we start being pulled outside of our our being, our body, we start to feel separate from ourselves. And over the time, we get more and more separate. And then we get so separate, sometimes all we want to do is start searching for that golden piece. Mm. You know, that thing that we feel longing for. But that thing we feel longing for is our wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so when we actually quit searching... And start letting go of all the stories and the belief systems. We find ourselves back within ourselves. Feeling perfectly whole. And able to move from our divine truth at that point. Yeah. So from a from an addict's point of view. It's almost counterintuitive. Because it. We got to the place we are in life because we ran our own decisions. We didn't need anything out of ourselves. We had it in ourselves. But ourselves are so broken and at such a state of that ugly ball of string that's just tormenting us that we do need to search outside of ourselves to 
to uh, let go, let God. All these, these, these sayings, right? Your higher power, all that. That's all just brought about to help the general public because everybody has a different belief system. So let's just throw a term at it that you need to step outside yourself, get away from our inner focus that we have, because all we're focusing on is the bad emotions that we that we do have and the dysfunction. So we do need to step out and, and search. <clears throat> so I, I can get that, and I think maybe we might be talking about a little bit different stage in the journey because... Believing that we're inside at that point is is the failure because at that point when we're we're in that struggle mm-hmm. we're already outside of ourselves. Mm. Yes, we're, I see what you're we're not in our divine truth at that point. Yes. So yeah. then it's just an illusion that we're searching outside of ourselves. Or well, maybe we are. We're looking outside of ourselves for answers, and we find all these little tidbits like the synchronicities and stuff like that to mm-hmm. remind us yeah. who we are. And that's all they are is little reminders. That maybe we put on our, through through manifesting, we put out there or we attract in mm-hmm. to remind us who we are, mm-hmm. to remind us of our wholeness, so that we can actually dive back into who we were, and that who we were might, for some people, some people that I work with, that wholeness hasn't been alive since they were like two years old, or mm-hmm. a year old. Some people can't even remember their wholeness ever existing. So, so that, that place that we're starting from is already outside. And that's, yeah. that's, that's the, I, I would agree with yeah. that. It's, it's a stage in the journey. Yeah. So in, in my beginning stages, I did have to step out of myself cause I was just so self-focused. What but like you? you say, you're actually not in yourself. Yeah. So I got that figured out. Yeah. That little bit, and now I I would assume this would be the beginning of the next stage. I'm I'm searching. I contacted the other day, but with some questions and yeah. and uh, yeah. So I believe you're correct in that that in the journey, and it has to be simplified for people that have no idea about this. Yeah. No, like the average person that has life struggles, mm-hmm. no idea that hey look, there's this other way. Try this. I know people. You know when when I tell some people, I I had a client in here the other day and. He said to me, uh, I said, you know, it's all it's all your, your divine self and your core self. Your answers are all there. And he told me to fuck off. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he said, it's all bullshit. He says, it's just all, all illusion, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all at different stages in this unraveling process. Yeah. You know, but, but, you know, it's like the onion, like that age-old thing where we're just taking the, the you know, the outside covers off and finally... When we get to the center, guess what's there? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It's paradox, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Searching for nothing <laughs> when you get there. Yeah, but it's all there. It's it's nothing and everything. Yeah. It's you know there's a there's a resonating frequency of beingness at, at our deepest core. That is has an intelligence that we can't even fathom from where we typically work from, mm. because where we typically work from is from the stories that we've accepted from around us. Yeah, you know, they're survival stories. Yeah. So, but and you had mentioned just a couple minutes ago about um, 
people can't remember when they were whole. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, they were very young. Um, through this, I've talked to my my dad quite a bit about it. And I, I don't blame my parents. You know, you can sit and blame. Oh, this happened to me when I was a kid, so therefore it scarred me. And and that does happen. Scars happen. Mm-hmm. I can't pinpoint anything. I grew up in a great home, loving, caring. I was taught that emotions were okay. Men do cry. It's all right. And and uh, talking with my dad, he says, "Yeah, something, something between eight and ten years old, you changed." He said, "There was something. It was almost like it broke. Somebody shut a switch off." And so they, I, I'm not going to try and pinpoint what it was. It just whatever happened, and then now I get to dig in and figure it out. And, yeah. And get rid of the the baggage. Yeah, it could be school. It could be anything. And yeah. I mean, school's a pretty harsh environment. Oh. I had some pretty harsh things happen in school for myself. Yeah. And yeah. We can. Know, we can actually jump into that one a little bit with school. I was such an emotional little boy. Emotional. I just had love for everybody, I think, because of the way I was brought up. I was raised on a farm, a loving Christian family, and probably sheltered, if you want to call it that. So then I'd get off the farm and go to school, and people were mean, very mean. There's one instance that uh, I deal with it all the time, and I, every time it comes up, I forgive them. But it still comes up and comes up. Uh, Valentine's Day as a little boy in grade two and I spent two nights at home making all Valentine's cards for everybody and some girls just laughed at me and wouldn't take them mm-hmm. and that hurt a lot hurt a lot and it, it still causes trust issues with with women because of that and I'm not blaming them it's me it's my reaction to it it's how I dealt with it but what a thing to deal with Mm-hmm. That, that meanness and who knows it could have been something like that that I just found like, oh, we're going to put walls up because this world hurts too much mm-hmm. right yeah already <laughs> already at that stage in grade 2 because um, I think the same thing happened to me in grade 2 or 3 uh, grade 4 actually but uh, I think it was grade 4 but um, yeah so the same thing happens and I believe that we're already looking outside of ourselves for something we're already you know expecting a need to be filled by sending those out mm-hmm. you know it's like a it's like this we make all these cards and we have these dreams that oh yes. this beautiful girl is going to like me or you know yeah. fulfill this story that where did I get that story from yeah. that when I give a Valentine's card somebody has to really like me yeah you know, somebody has to show me this 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 love back yeah instead of why can't I just give the love by showing, giving a Valentine's card. Well, exactly, and that's expectations. Mm-hmm. We put expectations on other people. Yeah. That is very selfish. Yeah. Very selfish. Yeah. You know, um, this podcast, right? I, I, I'm hoping that, that I'll say something somebody wants to hear, needs to hear, help somebody in some way or another. But if I don't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this because of the reward of, oh yeah, these people are going to hear it and it's going to be this great. No, I just hope I'm not sounding stupid enough that somebody will pick something up. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's just a hope. It's not an expectation anymore. Yeah. So what do you think about, uh, some people say that like the Valentine's thing for you happened for a reason. It happened to help you develop to become who you are today. Well, I've been close to 40 years trying to develop that one instance so I I can't speak to that I don't know I, I really don't know but one thing it does show me and maybe this is what you're getting at is it shows me that I myself have a very bad habit of putting expectations on people my wife probably takes the brunt of it 
I have expectations out of my wife. So when we talk about expectations of somebody else to fulfill a need for you, that's mm-hmm. codependent, right? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Codependence, in my point of view, always comes from being abandoned in some sense. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've discovered about abandonment isn't always what people feel is abandoned because people feel abandonment is like when a parent just like kind of ignores a child mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, sorry, you know, I had a child and I have to look after this child and, you know, that seems like the typical kind of abandonment. Mm-hmm. But there's also the abandonment of a parent being codependent. So a parent being um, needing something outside of themselves mm-hmm. to make them feel whole. So, for instance, your mother or your father might have had you and having you made them feel whole. So while they're raising you, you're like this this part of them that was sustaining them. Mm-hmm. So they were codependent raising you. So in that sense, when a parent is codependent on a child, that creates abandonment because the parent isn't in their wholeness. Yeah. Because it's desiring something from the child. Yeah. So they're actually never, ever present for the child in their wholeness with their heart. Being that anchor that the child needs to rely on. Exactly. So yes. there's a, there's an abandonment created for the yeah. child. So the child also starts to learn to look outside. Yeah. Instead of just feeling whole in themselves because you don't know any better, right? Yeah. So when you get to school and, you know, you have all these things happen, it's, it's an abandonment because all of a sudden you're expecting your relationships to fulfill you. You're expecting... Oh, I write these cards, these like love cards, and you put all your energy into it, and you're mm-hmm. expecting something in return. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're you're bound for failure. Yeah, and codependent. Definitely. Any relationship that's codependent is not failure proof. Yeah, and uh, you know, right from the beginning, that's you know, childhood. We all look at our childhood. What happened to me? What caused this? Um, I find that quite cliche. Mm-hmm. Because we live in a world that is just full of dysfunction, <clears throat> full of it. I don't even blame, like you would say, a, a parent with a codependent relationship. I don't blame them because they probably learned it from their parent and their parent. So as far as, okay, well, if my mother did this, blah, blah, no, nah, that's cliche. I'm not going to go there mm-hmm. and do that. The reason doesn't matter. Just knowing that it happened is enough for me. That's okay. Yeah. And let's try and get this fixed so I don't pass it on to my children. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So you can learn to live in your wholeness, in your divine truth. Be the anchor. Be that. Yeah. Try and pass on something healthy. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that's, that's an ultimate goal for all of us in life. So, you, so your kids don't have to deal with the same struggle that you deal with. Yeah. Or even compound it by adding more to their plate. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And hopefully that while you're in your wholeness, you can affect the people that are around you through work and all mm-hmm. sorts of places. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a change in my children. Like, I come from a, you know, I have a blended family. I have an ex-wife and three children and and uh, have a child with my, my current wife now, and, and she has two daughters. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a regret that I will take to my grave with me that I wasn't as healthy as I should have been for my own children, and I can see the results in that. But the wonderful thing is, is instead of pouting and staying in that mud puddle, I can get back up carry on with my journey and be able to pass some information on to my children when they're 25 instead of 45. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can help them out. And, and I've seen a big difference. Their, their guard is down. 
they're not guarding around dad anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, you know, I, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm a lot better than I was and they, they can pick up on that. Mm -hmm. So hopefully some of that will rub off on them at a young age. Yeah, makes you a good parent. Makes you strive to be a good parent. Makes you a good parent. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, in the podcast, I like to do a spot where you share something vulnerable, something that was maybe hard for you, something that you maybe did in your struggle that you're not proud of. You know, mm. drop down into your addiction. What you know? What was your lowest point where you were like felt? like your skin was crawling, you know, being yourself. That breaking point when I had my last drink, is that what you're referring to? Like what finally caused it? Yeah, what finally caused you? Like what was what was the point, not maybe the last drink, but what was the point where you were looking at yourself saying, you know, I'm disgusted with who I am right now? Yeah, the man in the mirror. That's, I, I have a, <laughs> call it my tickle trunk of my little sayings, quotes, poems that, that I'll refer to as I'm having a bad day or whatever. And, the Man in the Mirror is, a, is an amazing poem. Anybody listening should look it up. And it talks about, doesn't matter what you put on, what kind of face you put on, what show you put on, all that matters at the end of the day is the man in the mirror and can you accept him. Mm -hmm. um, my, my wife now, she, uh, she grew up with alcoholic parents and her dad was a horrible man from the stories that he tells me and I, and I can say that. He was as dysfunctional and horrible as it gets. He used to take her to the bar when she was 10 and 12 years old, make her wait so he could drive her home after he was drunk. Both her parents there, but her mother is recovered and you know healing as well. He's passed away now. But I would listen to my wife through the years I've known her and she would tell me these stories and I just disgusted with this man. Like what kind of a man would take a young girl to a bar, ignore her for the night, who knows what could happen to that poor girl and her fears that she's dealing with that she's hiding under tables. And so I, no, I was, I was glad I never had a chance to meet him. I'm glad he passed away before I got anywhere near him. He's not a nice man at all. And the last drink I had was out at a friend's place with my daughter. She was 16 or 15 at the time. She had a learner's license. And I was out in the garage drinking with her friend's dad. And it was one in the morning. My wife gets a hold of me and quite upset. You know, and how are you going to get home? I said, well, your daughter will drive me home. She'll drive me home. And I got home and I realized what I'd done. I totally mimicked the man in my life that uh, I was most disgusted with. And I honestly couldn't look in the mirror myself. I was angry, disgusted. What a horrible person. And the very next day I made a phone call and that was the last drink I had. That was my changing point was become realizing in the mirror that I was what I was disgusted with mm -hmm. which brings up usually if there's somebody and something else that's really bothering you that's because it's you it's a reflection of yourself and that's what that was mm -hmm. and it has changed me enough that close to three years later I'm still searching and trying as hard as I was from that first day it's let's change this let's not die this horrible man mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's a great story and I think uh, a lot of people, you know, when they're changing, they have similar stories. Yeah. So, when was the last time you cried? It wasn't very long ago. 
and I don't even remember the instance, but something hit me. It just, and it wasn't a big breakdown cry, but it brought a tear to my eye, and I was okay with it. It was, it was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Have you had a joyful cry? You know, one of those cries were... You're just so happy it brings a tear to your eye? Yeah. Yeah, yeah or, I have. Or a thousand tears or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have a bit of a saying because... Uh, we, we like to joke about, don't, don't wreck my reputation, I'm a, I'm a badass, I'm a man, just leave it. But well, that's your thing? Yeah, and, and my family likes to bug me about it, and, yeah. you know, and, and uh, say I hold a grandchild or whatever. And it's just so beautiful that it brings a tear to my eye. Mm-hmm. And somebody will point it out, and ah, it's, it's the sun, I'm just looking at the sun, you know. But, but yeah, I, I let it happen, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's funny how when we're trying to be tough, people start to pick up on that, and then yeah. all of a sudden they, you know, they yeah they show that right back to us. Yeah, it's a running joke in the house. Everybody yeah. can laugh about it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how tough are you? Physically or mentally or emotionally? Let's go with uh, <laughs> let's go with all three. Physically, I'm tough enough. I get my job done. Yeah. It's all that matters. Um, mentally, you've worked with me. You know, I'm pretty pretty strong mentally. And emotionally, that, that's, I, I'm emotionally stable, but as far as strength, it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, I'm not as emotionally strong as I would like to be. And maybe there's different definitions. I see emotional strength as, as it's, it doesn't matter what happens, you're there for them. You can, you can hold it together. And at the same time, you can also be okay with the sadness and anger and, and let that flow. And that's why I say it's a journey for me because I'm learning to let anger flow without reaction. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mm-hmm. tough. It's really tough. It is tough because, uh, and I don't know why, but, uh, well, maybe I do, but I, I recall a, a moment where I worked through a whole <coughs> bunch of anger and I let it go and then uh, through some workshops that I came back to work. And one of the one of the fellows I work with is always confrontational, and I just I thought, why not just drop into this anger and be conscious of it? This is kind of what I was taught in the class, mm-hmm. in the workshop, and so I dropped into this, and I, I dropped into the you know the the anger that deep anger within me, and I was like so conscious of it, and I was like. We were standing face to face and just like, yep, basically screaming at each other. And you know, the funny thing is, we we're both smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the energy of the anger felt like, it felt amazing. It felt so good to actually feel authentic anger. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I understood why he was always confrontational. is because he enjoyed that anger. He enjoyed, you know, having that that spat with other people because he enjoyed what the rush it gave him. Hmm. And he was conscious of it. He wasn't the type of person that just lost himself in it. Hmm. Yeah, so from that moment on, I learned that, you know, all these emotions are valid. Mm-hmm. And they're okay to feel. Mm-hmm. And they're okay to move through. The point where they're not okay is when we're not conscious of the energy of mm-hmm. the emotion. Yeah. And that, that would be the point that a person would be called out of control then. Mm-hmm. 
where their anger is just taking over. They're not conscious of it. They're not feeling it. They're not directing it. Well, and I think that when, when the anger is misplaced, that has something to do with it too because we can have this anger within us. Here's an example. Yesterday I was out shopping. And I was in the grocery store and it was quite busy even though we had like the, the our record snowstorm ever. Mm-hmm. Um, the lineups were fairly big and I went in there's one lineup and this guy in front of me he's like you know he can't stay still he's like foot to foot you know moving mm-hmm. around and his kid is like leaning up against the shelf all calm as can be and but this guy's like just twitching inside and uh, I said hey how's your day going he's oh fuck I always picked the wrong line and, he, mm-hmm. and I said well I said well I said it's a great time to just be present and and he goes he goes, no, I'm just agitated and I'm just angry. Mm. And, you know, so his anger is from something deep inside that he hasn't either forgiven himself for or let out. Yeah. You know, he hasn't let, because he's not allowed to feel, so all of a sudden there's this anger lodged in him. Mm-hmm. So he's in this lineup with, could be a 10-year-old piece inside him that just fucking wants out. Yeah. You know, it just wants to leave and be done. It's cycle. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's it's beautiful because I've been there. I've been in that place in the lineup yeah. where I'm where I'm full of anxiety and I just and I'm feeling the anger and I just everything I do, I, everything I can do to keep it contained, right? Yeah. But the beauty of of this life is that these events come to us to show us to illuminate that which is stuck in us. Yeah. And so when I'm now, if I'm in that place, like if I go in that lineup, and yesterday I was feeling a little bit agitated too. I don't know if I was picking up on his <laughs> his agitation or what, but I was feeling a little bit agitated. And then I came home and I was like, you know, reviewing. What, do I have something I haven't processed? Is there mm. something I have, you know, I've just hidden for yeah. a bit? And yeah, there was a little bit going on. So I processed it and felt through it. And yeah, it was good yeah. on the other side. But it's, it's nice to have those invitations. And I guess the point of it is, is that guy, he had so much anger wound up inside him. There's a, there's another saying for that too, and that's uh, taking inventory, which meditation would cover that as well. When's the last time you stopped to just stop? Just stop. Don't worry about everything else. Get in a quiet room and, and just jump inside yourself. Meditate. Get down in there and take an inventory. Well, look at that. That did bother me. I didn't think it did. Mm-hmm. You'll find stuff like that. When I first started counseling, I um, I used to describe it as my cauldron. I have a cauldron inside and it starts in my stomach and it ends in my chest. And I never took inventory, so that cauldron was always full. And one little thing would drop in there, like somebody cut me off or going too slow in the fast lane and just rage. Now, if you were to stop and be present in that moment, is that really worth the rage? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And that's where... You're not in control of your emotions. You haven't dealt with it. It's okay to be upset by somebody going too slow in the fast lane. That's okay. They're not supposed to be in there. So being upset about it is fine. But really, are you gonna are you gonna drag it out to this crazy, incredible scene on the side of the highway, or are you gonna realize that oh well, whatever? So it's a twelve minute drive home, and it's gonna take me thirteen minutes now. I get an extra minute to relax before I get home. Like 
be situational and be there. Yeah. And then if something does come up, realize that it's it, some old old patterns coming up. Mm-hmm. And that you haven't worked through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And let them have their life. Like emotions want to have a life. They're energetic and they want to have, they want to finish. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, is like when we experience joy or love or or somebody tells us a joke and we laugh, we don't hold the laughter back. <laughs> you know, we, we let it flow. We let, yeah. we say all that, all these emotions that are, or comfortable with, it's okay for them to flow. But the ones that are, are deeper, darker, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. that we're not comfortable with, uh, we're maybe afraid of our own power, our own, we're afraid of, you know, where we can go when we go to those deeper emotions. And we don't let them flow. And mm-hmm. They stay stuck. They never yeah. experience the life that they're supposed to be experiencing. And is that natural for us or is that bred into us? Is as a child, you're always told to calm down, stop yelling, stop all, anything that's loud and boisterous. You're told to contain. Mm-hmm. You don't stop a child from laughing, but you'll stop them from screaming. Yes, it's a belief system, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. Or if they're laughing too much, then you know, oh, yeah. calm down, calm down. <laughs> we have to stay within this these parameters, right? Yeah. And, yeah. But the thing is, when we stay in these little tight constraints then we don't actually experience the life that we came here to experience. Yeah, you're not letting the emotions finish like you spoke about. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hmm. And without emotions, what is life? Yeah. Well, and that's some more reading I was doing on ego death. You know, as as I'm doing my journey here, I'm zeroing in on ego. Okay, i got to deal with this. This is going to help my life incredibly if I can deal with this. So I kind of picked on it. And doing some research, and I and I did read a very good article about ego death, crush your ego, stop it. Is it worth it? Because in the end, you end up without any emotions. That line of thinking, if it's taken down to the very end, is you will stop everything. You won't be yourself anymore. Well, that can cause problems too, because your ego does want to come out and express. So is it under control or is it out of control? I believe is is where it should be that yeah there's nothing wrong with your ego if it's kept in check mm-hmm. healthy feelings mm-hmm. yeah so what's life like now for you um very rewarding very rewarding um we're alcoholics are taught that you know there is rewards of sobriety and they're amazing amazing rewards everything that comes your way i talked to a businessman once on everything that is coming my way. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't understand this. Like, so it's so much easier now and business is easier to to get. And it's almost like there's more opportunities. And he says, no, it's all the same opportunities that were flying past you before. But now that you're, one, you're not cloudy anymore because you're sober all the time and your emotions are kept in check. You're more in the moment. All that added together makes you more, aware of the situation and you can see stuff coming at you that hey, this is an opportunity maybe before you would have been too proud to even look that way so there there's those rewards but it far and above those is the emotional rewards is incredible incredible the i can feel everybody in my life that was in a position of love my children my wife my parents friends drew a, a couple steps closer to me and I believe integrity is a big one of that. Because as a selfish person, you do need to be dishonest to get what you want. So when you stop 
your dishonesty, you're staying honest, you're, you're uh, following your program, you're, you're living the way that you're taught to live. Life is, is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And, and I have so many friends that I watch them change in the same manners that it's not just coincidence. Being able to cure what is wrong inside of, of, of us addicts shows us what life is supposed to be. This is what it is. This is normal life, but it's amazing to, to people like myself. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the love and the understanding and the caring. You know, it, it's incredible. I love it. Mm-hmm. It makes you want to do more and more and more. The more you help, the more you give, the more you're out of yourself. You're not being selfish. And then you get those rewards. Gratitude and helping others, I believe, gets full payback. Not if you do it for payback, but if you do it just because it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. right things will happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. And even if we're um, doing whatever is right for us in any moment, whether that's, you know, sitting on a yoga mat or, you know, flying to Peru to do ayahuasca ceremonies, I think that if we're in our truth, and I believe that's what you're talking about, when we're in our truth and flowing in that truth, um, we'll know whether we're here to help other people in one way or another, mm-hmm. or if we're here to affect another's life to help, you know, humanity move to become more conscious, or whether we're just here for our own spiritual journey, you know, in that moment. And every moment can change. Yeah. I know for myself, I'm, I'm feeling that my purpose is to be here to help others. Right. Like you say, you know, you're here to help others or your own spiritual journey. Yeah. I think it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. My spiritual journey is actually dropping enough of the chaos and the matrix, as you would call it. That's slowly dropping off and you're seeing that, hey, look, this is my purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, uh, I want to build a business. I want to, you know, be wealthy enough to be able to help others. And that sounds funny to some people. People that don't know me don't believe me. But I've had talks with guys in the past, the, the age-old question, what would you do if you won the lotto? I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart that if I, and I've said this for years, if I was to win the lotto, I would start a business that helped other people. Mm-hmm. Whether it be missions, going and putting in water wells or schoolhouses for people that don't have it or the ability to get it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would like to do. And I feel that as a gut-driven purpose in life is to take my abilities and talents and convert it to help others. Mm-hmm. So do you see business in a different sense then? Do you see, um, like, say, corporations um, as, you know, maybe the owner of a corporation or a business that's actually there to help the employees, mm-hmm. to give them support in some sense? Yeah. 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 Like, I know there's, there's a lot of hate on for large corporations. I don't care. That's their race to run. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. But in my own particular race, I have seen a shift in my attitude towards business as this is my business. I will grow it. I'm going to do this. I will have this, my name and lights, whatever. I, it's now converted to a tool. For me, it's just a tool. Mm-hmm. I will grow this business. It will be a tool to provide money to be able to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And whether that's just helping my employees or giving me enough walking around money to be able to you know, help a homeless person and, you know, feed them or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's my business is the tool. That is what's going to generate some income to, to help others. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful way to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just so long as my family has food and shelter, then right on, let's go help somebody else get some food and shelter. Yeah. So do you have any plans or do you, or do you, what, what's your, where's your space right now for helping others? My space right now is, um, I've helped others uh, spiritually, just in in a very basic because my understanding is basic. But but help people try and try and recover, let them know that it's actually quite simple, it's quite easy. Don't worry about not drinking because that'll come naturally. You know this. Let's let's fix what's what's wrong. So I've helped some people out with that, and you know held some meetings in different places that people wouldn't go. Like you were saying, helping out at uh, Arches. It, it is scary. It's really scary, but man, what an, a fulfilling experience. And then in a, in a large picture, huge picture, if we can look years down the road, what I'm striving for and, and what I would love to see happen is my business provide enough money I can do a not-for-profit helping build schoolhouses or water wells or something. It's selfish in the nature and selfless in another nature. That way, I still get to travel the world. But I would meet the locals and help each and every one of them that I came in contact with. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that would be a, a beautiful end to a life. It would be amazing. Mm-hmm. So, can I dive into that? Mm-hmm. So, part of my work here as a coach, I dive into a triangle I discovered that existed between within people when they were basically, I think, stuck in this matrix. And when we're stuck in this space of struggle, we experience life from a couple different points. Uh, One is a victim and one is a hero. And I find that when we're a hero, there's a part of us that doesn't realize that that hero can be also a predator. Mm. Because when we think of the hero's journey, we think of somebody who just wants to save save the world. Mm-hmm. But does the world need to be saved? You know, does that hero ask, you know, the girl on the street corner, you know, do you need help? Would you like my assistance? Because that girl might be right where she needs to be mm-hmm. she might be experiencing exactly what you know came here to experience without the hero's assistance and if the hero just walks up and says you know here's five bucks she can automatically feel like a victim mm-hmm. and in that moment the hero becomes a perpetrator even giving money even doing nice things mm-hmm. because he considers it to be nice you know that's so I don't know if you're, if you got that, but like from your point of view, you know, to listeners, they might say, well, Mike's just on a hero's journey. He's mm. going to crash from that. Mm. And are you in full disclosure, you know, when you're being your hero, are you, you know, are you communicating? Yes, I see where you're getting at. And uh, I believe it's, it, to me, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's normal, it's logical to ask Yeah. to me, like, hey, do you need some help there? And I, I totally see what you're saying. You can walk around with your nose in the clouds handing out money, and I'm helping everybody. Well, no, that's that's not where I'm going. I'm talking about uh, if, if we could just take a scenario, 
find a, a place that needs help that we can see from our point of view they would need help go there and ask spend some time mm-hmm. hang out with them and then you know what do you guys do for a school you know I notice your water's pretty bad would you like some help mm-hmm. that's how I see it happening mm-hmm. and, and that's how I've helped people in the past I don't just storm in hey I'm here we're doing this <laughs> <laughs> this place where where I was holding meetings it took I bet you a month before I could even get in there Mm-hmm. And it was just asking, offering, you know, and everybody, oh, yeah, that would be great. Okay, cool. Well, what, you know, let's set this up. I did not barge in, not, not by any stretch of the imagination. Because I, I can see what you're saying, that you can victimize people pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and most people, when they're in struggle, they're moving through one of those, one of those spaces. Mm-hmm. They're existing in one of those spaces. So... Yeah, you know, I can I can think of lots of times in my life where I've been I've been the hero and lots of times where I've been the victim, mostly the victim. Cuz for me, I find it easier to play the victim role because I get something out of it because I'm looking for something, right? Mm-hmm. Same as a hero, both looking for something. Yeah. They're both looking for external validation of some point. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and it's nice to be to be able to play a hero and not call it a hero and not actually you know, you're just existing in your truth. Well, would that not then be a string attached? Calling it a hero? Well, if you're if you're helping somebody, expecting mm-hmm. anything, even a pat on the back, yeah. to me that's a string attached. Yeah. And you do not give gifts with strings attached. No. You know, that's as dysfunctional as it gets. So to take it that step for it to me it makes logical sense. I can mm-hmm. understand how for some people maybe it doesn't, but for me it's logical that there's steps you take when you want to help people. Mm-hmm. I asked a friend of mine uh, a few weeks ago. She bought a gift for somebody, and I said, "I asked her what was the what's the point of the gift." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, there was lots of anger came up. Oh wow! Yeah, lots of anger came yeah. up um, because you know part of her is like you know realized that you know there's something behind the gift. Mm-hmm. There's a request behind the gift. Yeah, and. It's not really a gift when there's a request. Yeah. You know, an unspoken request. Yeah. Yeah. That plays out in normal everyday life. If you, if for myself, um, the greatest gift I can give my wife is a back rub where I roll over and go to sleep after. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a running joke with a lot of couples. Oh, yeah, sure. You rub my back if I give you something. But no, the greatest gift I can do is just rub her back. And why, why are you doing that? Because well, I felt you were maybe a bit sore. End of story. Right there. That's it. Yeah. And that, that is a gift. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's nice. It's nice to be able to be in that space of life where we can just flow without being in the triangle, mm-hmm. without being the victim or the hero or the perpetrator. Yes. Yeah. And all this being said, don't don't anybody listening think that this happens all the time. Yeah. For me, it's it's glimpses of wow, I did that one right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of instances where it doesn't go right yeah. and yeah. there's apologies made yeah. but that's okay you recognize it you oh look I fell down pick yourself up and carry on mm-hmm. don't don't stay in that mud puddle yeah exactly yep yep ulterior motives mm. leave those leave those at the door yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that's the thing about and we get back to codependent relationships and that's a codependent relationship. So there's always an ulterior motive for something. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that and I mean that goes back to your youth and whatever. So codependence and drinking and yeah, soothing mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that when your needs aren't being fulfilled, you got to soothe with the with the bottle or smoking weed or whatever it is that soothes. Yeah, yeah, and then we get to a point where suddenly we don't need to soothe anymore because we're back in our wholeness, mm-hmm. and wholeness is self soothing. Yeah. That's a beautiful place to exist from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to getting there. <laughs> I'm enjoying the journey, and I'm yeah. not rushing it. But yeah. Yeah. but yeah, to drive forward, don't ever be comfortable where you are. Mm-hmm. Complacency will help you trip up. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess maybe one last question. Since your change, since you've come from more of a struggle and, and done some work on expanding your, your awareness and your beingness. Mm-hmm. How is your intuition? Has it changed? Yes. Moves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I believe that just comes from being present. Because mm-hmm. if you're present, you're picking up on all this stuff coming past you. Right? Like I said about the business end of it, where I can find more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Same on the personal side. Your intuition, I believe, is sharper. You can you can pick up on it mm-hmm. as far as you're trying to read another person. You know what's their intentions? Are they good people? Or are they not? And uh, situations a lot easier to to get them figured out for me mm-hmm. because I'm not there's not this chaos in my head. There still is on some days, but it, it's just a dull roar on most days. Well, now you have that extra space in your head to pick up on all those other things. It's not being consumed by inner emotions that are just scrambled and trying to escape. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, I would say it's sharper. <clears throat> I like that inner emotions that are scrambled and trying to escape. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to move in their own path. Yeah. Their own journey and be gone. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming in today. I know that uh, you're a bit nervous. And I really want to say thank you for accepting your journey and accepting your space in recovery and and being real with it, Mm. you know, being authentic. Yeah. And just being willing to be in that space where you can be vulnerable and maybe help others. And yeah. yeah. Well, I lived uh, over 40 years in the other space and it's not, not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's much easier to live in this head space now. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to come in. Mm -hmm. Wasn't as nervous as you think. I just wanted to make sure it was the right move. As I explained, (laughs) my head space is, is not the best lately, only because I'm busy focusing on business, but uh, mm-hmm. it worked out anyways. If okay. anything, it drove me back into my headspace like you were talking about. Yeah. So thank you. Drove you into presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No choice. I had to be present. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. And uh, my website is rogermetz.com. And this podcast is ExpansionCast. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.